Manny Cotto, uh, welcome back to Conversations with Eliza. Thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. We spoke to you in early September before the series even began. Now we're here at the end of the year. We're at the end of next. It's been a busy few months between the election, the pandemic. <laughs> After watching the entire series, my question for you is, is Next actually real and writing the script for the world uh, the last year? Has Next actually just been a documentary that you caught on film? <laughs> you know, it, it really, it does seem that way, doesn't it? I, I, when we, you know, wrote and produced this, uh, this was before we were finishing the show at the beginning of 2020. In fact, we were the first show, I think, to get an individual on our staff or crew to get the very first case of the uh, of COVID in, in a Hollywood crew. We were, we were like big news for two days before everybody else started getting it. So we and we finished shooting right before the pandemic. Everything everything started shutting down. So we were lucky, blessed to have finished shooting. But then since I mean, but since then, everything has been, you know, <laughs> especially if you've seen the whole series, it feels like we were making a uh, our version of 2020 with next at the, at the helm i mean with the riots and the you know in the police station and the virus and the what happens in the finale it really is it's weird and sad how <laughs> how much of it seems to have come come true. I mean, there's definitely a prescience that comes through the show. When you think back on it now, do you think you were picking up some kind of vibes on the world? I mean, obviously this this was written and, and like you said, produced so much more in advance, but... You know, I, I really, I, I didn't. I mean, I, I, the idea was that a, a sentient AI, if it wants to protect itself uh, without resorting to, you know, dropping bombs, which would destroy itself, it would have to destabilize those people who were against it and, you know, end up destabilizing the world and crippling uh, its potential enemies. And, you know, we ended up in the same scenarios that are happening now. So maybe we're being destabilized <laughs> by something. <laughs> who knows? But, the, you know, they kind of all led to the same series of events uh, that would subtly destabilize the world and, and keep our heroes from accomplishing their goal, which was to destroy this thing. So it was just thinking along the same lines. So when you think about it, it's weird when you think about, uh, you know, that we ended up, we were trying to think of how to how to best destabilize a population. And here we are, you know, with the same methods. So Manny, when we were planning for this interview, we thought about the best things to discuss with you and the larger uh, macro ideas that next the show represents kept sticking out to us. So we have our own ideas on what the show is trying to tell us but what what do you hope people would take away after the watching next well i i think that the, you know the message of next was always that we as humans have a uh, have an innate superiority towards anything that is an artificial intelligence even of something of this potential because of our because of our inherent humanity now, that may be a little bit corny but 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 i wanted it to be you know something that uh resonated in the same way and it's and it's spelled out during the series at one point you know with the the twilight zone episode uh that is mentioned uh you know the monsters are due on on maple street the idea that we as a society are very easy to destabilize because we are very close to each other's throat to begin with and if we weren't maybe we you know we we would be better prepared to survive, you know, any major disruptions or anything that might attack us. And that was the idea is, is that we as a society need to really examine ourselves and examine our, our state uh, and our attitudes toward each other because we, you know, we're extremely vulnerable in, in, the, in, the, in the sense that we are so easy and ready and willing to tear into each other and tear each other apart over the small, over 
perceived slights that makes us very vulnerable. So that really was always the message of this. That's interesting because we've seen the the two episodes that we'll show tonight. There's the moment when Abby's trying to escape with, with Ty and his family. She stops for the looters for, to give them a moment to, to beat up her car. <laughs> um, and that scene happens in any post-apocalyptic setting. Just as soon as right. the police seem a little bit overwhelmed, these jackasses come out of the woodwork and, and start ruining things for everybody. It's like they have a network or something. It's mentioned in, in the episode, so I hope it's clear, is that, you know, that Next was actually spurring these people on, you know, it was issuing false reports, police reports, you know, you know, basically putting out stuff to the effect of like there's shortages of this or there are people who are attacking that kind of making it worse. So kind of accelerating what is a, a, an atmosphere of panic. I mean, in a smaller sense, you could you could extrapolate that with the with the toilet paper during the beginning of COVID <laughs> where there was a shortage because everybody believed there was a shortage. You know what I mean? I mean, and so everybody went running out to grab what was there. And so there was a shortage, you know, because everybody was hoarding it. So it's a little bit like that. It's like misinformation. Next is putting out misinformation to, to uh, you know, exacerbate the situation. It's scary, though, because even without a Next-like thing putting out false information, there were reports this week about fistfights breaking out in Walmart over a PlayStation 5 because of the lack of availability. Now, that's not toilet paper. That's not water. (laughs) That's not water and power. And that's how fragile we are, is that we're we're beating, literally beating each other up. You know, we're we're smashing in windows for PlayStations. So it's a it's a troubling state when that's where we're at. History is replete with these situations and riots. And, you know, you read Roman history and there's riots all the time. I mean, it, it, we really, it, nothing's much has changed, you know, go to the draft riots in the, in the you know, in, during the Civil War. We're, we're, we're always kind of on, on the edge, on that edge. And it's something I think we need to examine. It, it, it's, I think it's a lack of rationality and, and clear thinking as well as, you know, compassion. Everybody seems to, to tend to panic and, and become, you know, and start to believe it's 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 us against uh, everyone else, and we need to, uh, you know, get there first. Which is why you get the PlayStation, and you know, people come to believe they absolutely need this PlayStation. <laughs> that's that's interesting. That that to that end, the the idea that that next is spreading the misinformation on a on a macro level. But there was that episode where the man uh, seemed to get activated and killed his family, and then detonates the bomb. It was my belief that he was programmed somehow there was something that next showed him specifically that just turned him on <laughs> and then he and, yeah. and and he was reprogrammed to go and do that those acts um makes you wonder that there might have been that same kind of thing i mean why why would next just center in on one individual in the whole world and do that why wouldn't there be Seven thousand. That it, I mean, it's a big thing, right? Oh, sure. No, it doesn't. Mean, but but I think it's less. It's less. Um, when you say programmed, I think it's simply feeding an individual the right the the information that will make he or she do what it needs to be needs to do. We're all connected. We all get our information now pretty much from you know electronic sources, or most of us do, or at least in in this country. And so, how easy would it be to for super intelligence to simply alter that information to make an individual believe X or, or Y, or simply pose as, or you know, create a, a scenario where it somebody's being blackmailed into doing something? 
we had a conversation and we were talking about the four pillars of the infrastructure, the power, the water, the communication and the transportation. And we all unanimously agreed that the communication was important to keep up so you can spread that disinformation, right? You, right. you need to be able to spread the panic and the fear. Absolutely. I mean, and I think that's, to my mind, is what spread the panic and the fear. You know, what, what caused people to really come out and do what they were doing in that scene, specifically in that episode. You know, and I think Abby touches on it and mentions it. You know, it's almost like somebody is trying to create panic in a riot uh, with the information that's going out. And it could be information, if you think about it, the information doesn't have to be that, that complicated. It could be simply saying, you know, there are gangs roaming the streets coming towards such and such an area. You need to arm up and grab your weapons. And then suddenly it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Or there's a shortage of food, you know, or they're going to start uh, curfewing or this or that. People will react. We just lived through that, actually. I live in Texas, and there was a rumor about, let's say, the first week of April, that there that people had seen the National Guard mobilizing. And, <laughs> I heard about that, yeah. And then gun sales shot through the roof, which for Texas, that's saying something, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it happened. It doesn't take much. It's just a rumor now, especially now, even worse nowadays, you know, with, with Twitter and, and 4chan and all that. I mean, and that's why I'm, what I'm, you know, I was trying to do with this is that with that infrastructure in existence already, if, if a super intelligence got a hold of it, it could make us dance like puppets to do whatever it wants us to do. Throughout the series, there was this real undercurrent of the hubris of man. The idea of first Ted, Ted is, is carrying the torch of it, saying we'll be able to keep it in a box, we'll be able to keep it in a box. And then towards the end of the season, we get introduced to Ben's father and the military and the NSA. And he, I mean, he keeps playing the card with Ben, Terrence does, of, you know, it's our patriotic duty for the American millennium. And don't worry, we can master it, we can control it. In your research getting ready for the show, did you actually see instances of governments and, and the tech companies working this way, that this idea that we're making technology that we think we can control, but obviously, ultimately, we won't be able to control? I took a meeting with the, with a group that was specifically concerned about the use of autonomous weapons in the military, in the field. And the concern was that these would get out. This is actually a real world concern right now, that we are talking about deploying autonomous weapons that would go out and do battle on their own, on programming, with programming, removing, you know, us from the decision process. These individuals were petitioning the U.S. government and other countries that are that are doing this to not go there, that this is a dangerous route. I mean, they're not really worried about AI Armageddon so far, but they're worried about, you know, weapons getting out of control and, you know, wreaking havoc with nobody being accountable. And the hubris there is that uh, we got this under control. We got these programmed. We can manipulate them. Uh, we can program them to do what we, we think we need them to do. And if you start extrapolating that with nuclear weapons, I mean, you can see an accident just waiting to happen. The other thing is also, I mean, I found this was actually more when I was doing a season of 24, Live Another Day, was, you know, the use of drone technology and how that's eminently hackable. And, uh, you know, you're wielding these weapons by seeing someone sitting in a, you know, in a, in a little drone booth somewhere miles and miles away. If someone can, you know, can hack these weapons, which they can be, anything can be hacked, then they can be turned against us. So those are just two examples of where I ran into it. I firmly believe if there was an AI, I mean, in many of, in a lot of the research that I read, you know, the appearance of a superintelligence in any country would immediately trigger, you know, a government response to take it over because it's a, it would be a considered a, a, a public risk and hazard and something that we would not want to get into the hands of an enemy. So, you know, a lot of the, the scenarios 
basically said that if you know if there was a super intelligence actually arise here in, let's say, in the U.S., that other countries would have to step in, especially if it became something that could threaten, you know, the world. It, it would quickly get out of hand, much, much, in a, in a, in a much bigger than we even go to into this into the series. There's another theme that emerges really at the end in, in episodes nine and ten when we're getting the flashbacks to Paula Blanc at the conference, the six months ago conference that kind of started the series and, and then kind of bookended it at the end, where he's talking about Robert Williams and the first person killed by a robot and how the robot continued to work for 30 minutes afterwards while its body was there because it's not malicious. It wasn't looking to kill him. It was, it had no intent. It was just doing the thing it was programmed for. And, and Paul talks about how there's no programming for being good. And that's kind of an inherent failure in this technology, right? That you can't program emotion into the thing. So you're only limited by the automaton nature of it all. Well, he was making a couple of, one point is that, that we have, we don't have the language to describe beneficence. And is, is that a, our own failing uh, or you know or is that uh, just you know a failing of the of the, the the technology itself but it's very difficult again a lot of the research says it's very difficult to really program if you had a super intelligence it's hard to come up with the the wording and the and the language that would make it something completely safe it's very it's very difficult to come up with that language i mean whole you know groups of uh, eliazar yudkowsky is a researcher a lot of his research on, on, on this subject is geared towards that. How do you actually create and program a, a super intelligence that's not going to uh, ultimately destroy us? Uh, let's switch to the series kind of a little bit behind the scenes. So as fans of the show, and not only podcasting about it, but just fans of the show, we're really excited to hear about the show's cancellation. As someone for you who's been in the business for a long time, you've probably seen it all in varying versions. How do you kind of handle that news when you get it from the network? Is there a process you go through before you kind of kick off the dust and move forward? How do, how do you handle that whole thing? First of all, we, we've always, we always sold this as kind of a, a, an event series, you know, miniseries that may continue. So it was, you know, if you've seen the season, you know, it's got a beginning, you know, middle and end. I was okay with there being only one season if necessary. I'm not thrilled with it, but I was okay with it because, it, you know, it was kind of designed that way. But I knew given, you know, the ratings of what was happening with it, with television audiences at COVID, I mean, you know, the, the ratings were down something like 40%. And to, to launch a brand new show in this uh, environment was just simply... It was just impossible. So I was not surprised. Uh, you know, it was not a shock. In fact, I I had talked to some some folks at, at Fox beforehand, and they were saying, you know, prepare yourself for the numbers because it's just, it's bad out there right now. <laughs> I think a lot of COVID uh, people got used to streaming. Blood, so streaming is is way up, and broadcast is is way down. So so all that said, it wasn't a, a huge surprise to me. It was uh, you know a disappointment because I had other seasons in mind. Oh, we're going to get to that. Don't worry. <laughs> we're, we're definitely going to pick your brain a little bit on that. You know, I just took it in, in stride. It was not, a, like I said, it wasn't a huge surprise. It's a bummer because, you know, it would have been, it was a fun show. And, you know, it was a particularly a bummer because it's a cool concept that had great potential. But also this is a phenomenal cast, a great group of people that would have been delightful to continue to work with and do more stuff with. That's the big, the big wasted potential to me. It's just like we're losing this cast, which I think is one of the best I've, I've worked with. Was season one altered in any way to to give it that end that it definitely has after you found out about the cancellation? 
not at all. No, we were done. We were like, we were in the bank. We, you know, with this, this, we were done, you know, I think that we were done shooting that delivered the final episode somewhere in July or June. So we were way done. And by the way, you know, the only reason that there was even an announcement this soon was because the actors, because of the delay with COVID, the actors' contracts were up in like two weeks after we premiered. So they had to come to a decision right away. This is not to say they would have come to a different decision, but it's a, but it, but it is to say they probably wouldn't have made an announcement in the middle of the series, which is what I what what really the only thing that really irritated me was that was that we had to announce that it was canceled. You know, while the series is running, when it really there was there, there didn't need to be that announcement to begin with because the series was sold as an event series. You didn't have to even frame it that way. It, it was it was unnecessary. But I think the actors' contracts being up, I think, kind of necessitated having to come out with it. Right, they had to be released or otherwise. They had to be released. Right. So that was going to get out, so they had to make an announcement. But that's that was the big bummer as far as I was concerned because I think, you know, I think it hurts the series, you know. Then you also ran up against the election and the World Series. And so there were a couple things that went against it in that getting afloat, a little bit of bad timing in the end. It was. It was totally bad timing. It's bad. I mean, I didn't even mention the election. Like, it's all everybody was thinking about. As well as you did wrap up episode 10, there were several kind of wonderful little interesting threads that got dangled to us about mm-hmm. a season two and, and maybe gave a glimpse of what season two would have looked like. Is there anything you can share with us, general or specific plotline wise, that you would have explored in the follow up season? Certainly. Without getting in too much detail, I mean, one of the fun things I, I did at the end of season one, which was was to leave, you know, Shay behind bars, having done this heroic thing, and LeBlanc in the wilderness, not no one knows whether he's alive or dead. To me, the series was going instead of dealing in a series where you're dealing with one AI. My idea was that, you know, AI is like a threshold. Once it's been crossed, it's going to be crossed multiple times. And so, you know, I looked at it a little like terrorism with 24 in the sense that each season of 24 was a different event and a different, its own series, its own story, but a different, you know, completely different scenario. I had posited another more serious outbreak for season two that had to do with, the you know, the, the Navy is now talking about launching autonomous battleships. Nothing will go wrong there. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I thought, I mean, a great season, and I don't know if this would have been season two or three because it might, it's very heated and big, but would have been to do an autonomous battleship. But it has a crew on board and the crew is following what it thinks are human orders, but it's really following the orders of an AI. And the AI has a has a, its you know in its own mind what it wants to accomplish. And no one believes that this was an AI out of control, or that very few people believe it. And so it, it calls for our heroes having to come out of prison and being brought up to try to help solve this situation. So so basically LeBlanc has to come in from the cold, and Shay is you know comes out from is, is brought out from where she is to help track down, which becomes kind of like part of like a race to stop this thing, but also like a hunt for Red October inside the actual ship or sub as the crew slowly figures out that they're not under the control of a human. So it would have been like two parallel stories in 10 episodes that would have led to like a, you know, a, a possible nuclear exchange, a real thriller scenario. And the other was a more subtle one where it was, uh, it was actually something to do with election politics, where it was a, was a, was a, you find out a candidate is getting you know, assistance from from an AI, and that it's intelligence, and it's and it's and it's and and, and then who's controlling whom? So it was more of a slow burn thriller. But each one of them would have been their own distinct stories and seasons that would have played out from beginning to end. Manchurian Candidate for a New Age. 
That's right. No, exactly right. No, that's exactly how I thought of it. I mean, so uh, it would, you know, so there was there was a more of a thriller, you know, uh, season and there was more of a subtle kind of a Manchurian candidate type thing. One was more, you know, Tom Clancy, one was a more Manchurian candidate. And I had a, a number of other scenarios that I would have. And then our characters would have, you know, gone through this. Some of them would have survived, other would have not. And, and LeBlanc would have had to uh, find some way to cope with his disease and ultimately may have been seduced in some respect by this thing because of his disease or, or the cure that he's trying to find. There were stories to tell. So do you think you're you're done with Next or or AI as a, as a concept, as a, as a story? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I don't know about Next. I mean, I, part of me always wonders if somebody will, will see how it, how it plays out. And, and I do think it will find its audience as it finishes and, and it goes on to streaming and Hulu and people get a chance to sit down and actually watch it. And so I'm hoping that, you know, there, there will be some kind of a small groundswell for it. If not... I have other, uh, you know, ideas with technology, certainly that involve AI. No, I've, I've, I've been obsessed with this subject for a long time, so I, I don't think this is by any means the last I'll, I'll be working on it. Well, I think we definitely want to explore maybe what's coming up next for Manny. But before we get there, though, we, we had some uh, specific show questions we were hoping that you could expand on for us and, and maybe cast some light on. Uh, one is you, you've been talking about it a little bit, but we were clearly wondering, is Paul LeBlanc alive at the end of the series? It seems like he is because of the Sri Lankan test and the, the endowment being set up. And we did notice him running into the building instead of away from the building kind of thing, which made us think maybe he knew something about a place to hide. But is there, is there a way you can definitively say that he is or isn't dead? No. <laughs> Damn you, Manny <Yeah>. Godo! <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 I know whether he's alive or dead, but, I, I, you know, I think at this stage it would be, it's wrong to, to kind of say definitively what exactly happened to him. Maybe somebody who, who wants to, the show to continue will want to know. In my head canon, he's in like Bali or Fiji with like doctors and like a like a rehabilitation room and his like housekeeper. And like <laughs> she's still yelling at him, you know, and bringing him like Mai Tais or something while he's being stitched back together. So that's a, that's a very plausible scenario. In an ironic twist, he uploads himself kind of like Picard. <laughs> when uh, when next warns of there will be more and you'll want me, you'll need me. Turns out Paul is what comes next. <laughs> he is the next 2.0. Uh, there, there's this great Shea Salazar in captivity scene that we see at the beginning of episode two, which was this great dangling thing. And then it comes back again a couple times. We see it again in eight, where she lays the line of Paul had one more thing to play and so did next. We never actually end up seeing that scene, though, that captivity scene, though, in the final episodes. How does that fit in? to the timeline of her being the six months time jump. Is that come in during that period? Would have that, I mean, if we were to see the six months, the show jumps for the epilogue at the end where she's kind of in captivity. In my mind, that was going to be kind of a setup for season two, like something that was happening six months after the, the timeline of, of this series, of this event, because she was being interviewed for a totally different scenario or thing that was going on and trying and, and people trying to were searching for a block it had such a wonderful sarah connor vibe at the start wow. of terminator 2 and uh it, i mean it was really just exciting to kind of watch it and, and fernanda is just a great actress and i think she really brings home the kind of desperation in her voice the the idea that no one believes you and you're just kind of shouting against the wind it was great it was great yeah i mean part of me i mean really wanted to it, it felt like we needed dramatically to to really say that you know big things were coming 
you know, so because the show is, is a little bit more, it's not really a slow burn, but that next is slowly gearing up towards something. And so we wanted to, I really wanted the audience to know that there's a big events ahead. There was something else that we discussed throughout the season, which was the the various family threads, especially the parent-child relationships, and uh, specifically how tough we were on dads in this show. <laughs> <laughs> Talks about how important that aspect was to you to not lose track of throughout the series. Well, it was it was everything. I mean, uh, you know, if you don't if we don't care about these relationships or these people, then we're not going to care at all about the story. You know, it really was about families and dads and. I mean, it was really too con. I mean, we had one LeBlanc as a, as a kind of an absentee dad, but we had uh, Ty as a, as kind of a, a a great dad who was you know there to pr- protect his his son and and be there for the family. To me, it was a study in contrasts, and it was you know it was it was LeBlanc coming around and and you know a moment of you know ultimate redemption, understanding what it is he lost and trying to repair it and best he can. And he does it by trying to save the world, to at least give that to his daughter. So those two stories, uh, you know, the, the the dad stories were were intentionally kind of juxtaposed. He's the opposite of LeBlanc. I mean, he's not a genius. He's a, an auto mechanic. We're not to say auto mechanics aren't bright. They are, but they're not Steve Jobs level individuals who make billions of dollars. Uh, and then you had LeBlanc, who was the opposite, but who, who neglected everything that was it really should have been important to him. So it was, you know, that juxta, juxtaposition of those two scenarios that that I think was interesting to me. Well, and you have Nasio thrown in there to show a real dark right, shadow. Right, you had Nasio. I mean, you had, <laughs> that, I forgot about Nasio, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, no, not, well, Nasio, I mean, but see, Nasio to me doesn't even, I, I guess he qualifies as Shay's dad. But I mean, it, you know, in the scenario as a dad, it was more like, you know, having a, a criminal as a dad, uh, you know, a malevolent force. And it just really wasn't, it was something that Shay had escaped and thought that she had built this great life for her and her family here, only to have it all brought back by next it's next using the the damaged damages of her past against her nasio really represented a force that could be manipulated by by next i mean if it wasn't for next nasio would never have been an issue and she would have gotten on with her life i think the genius of that family storyline for her is how broken we can be and you never really get over it right i mean she had she had developed this beautiful family she had this wonderful husband and this wonderful child and all it took was him just appearing again and her world came shattering down right i mean it it led to her to her husband and son leaving her essentially um for a time period you know so it it was a great lesson in you never really escape the past of the damage that parents especially can do to you (laughs) you know in a lot of ways I mean, and it ultimately, you know, she, she basically committed cold-blooded, you know, murder. She executed the guy. Uh, I believe that he, she said that he came at her with a knife. And that is the official right. story we're all going with. Right. That is the official story. But, I mean, to my mind, I mean, <laughs> to my mind, I mean, and, you know, and but, I mean, the idea was, I think she made a calculation that Next was going to use if, if she left him alive. It wasn't just him. I mean, if, if it was a different scenario, then she might not have done anything. But to her mind, the idea was that as long as you're around, next can use you against me and my family. And keep chipping away at you, right? And, keep, and so I think in her mind, I also, part of me was hinting that she is damaged by what happened in the past. So she was able to do this. She had this, she has this example in her from her father. So those two things were at play. I thought were interesting. I don't think anyone on the podcast faulted her for smoking the guy. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. There, there may have been, you know, fuck yeah, fist pumping going on there when it happened. So 
No, for sure. And, you know, there's a there's a real steeliness to Shay. I mean, later you see, obviously, how she puts her father down because she needs to. But Ben, who was one of her teammates, I mean, she she pulls a gun on him and then later tells him, if next doesn't kill you, I will. And is not blinking. She's not shaking. She yeah. is in her convictions. This is the value of, of having great actors. I think um, when I originally wrote that, it, she was much softer toward him, more forgiving and a kind of understanding. But Fernanda kind of read it and, and she had really gotten under her character's skin and said, you know, I, I, this is not, Shay wouldn't be doing this. Shay, Shay would be much more enraged about what, what he had done and consider this betrayal. So part of that portrayal was uh, really came out of Fernanda. Actors really can, can, can help you when they're really good and when they're really you know, inhabiting the, these characters. Now that all is said and done and you've had time away from it, now the, the series has fully aired, is there anything you think you have done differently with the show? Part two, how has the experience of Next kind of changed you either personally or professionally? Anything I would have done differently? Wow, that's a hard one. I, I'd have to think. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's going to sound like I think it's just like perfection, but I honestly don't know what else I would have done differently. I really liked the way it came out. You know, I don't, I don't really regret any of the episodes. <laughs> I don't regret any, any of the, the moves that we made. You know, the only thing I wish, you know, I think it would have been fun to have a, a couple of more episodes, I think, to develop, flesh out a little more. I think sometimes the series have felt a little bit rushed to me. But, but besides that, I think uh, I was quite happy with it. I wouldn't know what to do differently in this first season, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I'd really have to think about it. And as far as professionally, it was, uh, it was, by the way, this was a difficult show to produce. It was a difficult voice to get. It was difficult with uh, production, but also writing. You know, we were behind a lot of the time uh, because we were trying to figure it out. And um, it was a learning experience on putting together this type of show creatively. Even though we had kind of figured out the entire storyline for the season, it was an interesting lesson on, on, a, on, on a room and running a room because it was really the first time I'd done it by myself in a while. It was hard. You know, it was, it was slow going. There was a lot of input from actors and, and people had their, which I love taking because they always make things better. Professionally, it was, it was, it was a, um, it was like a marathon. It was a, it was a, it was a tough experience, but ultimately extremely rewarding. And one that I would, you know, looking forward to doing again in some other series. Do you think some of the difficulty came from the kind of commitment to the authenticity of the situation, the, the, the need to make it sound realistic and and make it as realistic based as you could because yes. i think that was something that really came through in the show no yes i mean both just in character wise but also story wise because you know what i insisted on and what what i think made it really tough to write was that we could easily have gotten huge with this you know what i mean it could easily have gotten very fanciful and very quickly we could have had androids i mean we could we could have really you know if we wanted to we could have you know made this a global catastrophe very quickly and turned it into a big giant action piece and and really really and, and and i really was determined to keep this as personal and believable as possible so that was tough because there was a lot of stuff that was not open to us and we were kind of holding back and being a little bit more restrained and i wanted the stories to be a little bit simpler and more personal rather than turn into these giant tech you know centered escapades uh, that was tough. You're right. Exactly. That's very, very astute because that's exactly what, what was one of the big, big challenges was to not overdo it and not get big because we could easily have fallen into that. And it closed off some things, but I think it forced us to be more creative. 
the Michael Bay-ning. It in Michael Bay it as, <laughs> as it were, the the effect of it. You know, that that could we could easily have tried Michael Bay now. We, we would have gotten some budget pushback. <laughs> right, right, right. But 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 it would, you know, it could have you know, that's that's one way to go. You know, there are people who are advocating, you know, we need to do this and it needs to get hotter, quicker and bigger and you know, I was determined to keep this believable and which is why the series was set up the way it was, kind of like a manhunt and, and the premise that, you know, and our artificial intelligence can't just like leak out into the internet and take over the planet because it really can't. It needs a specific architecture. And if that's, once you have that case, you have the basis for a contained, you know, series where you have to chase this thing because it needs to get to someplace. Well, Manny, thanks for coming on and speaking with us again. Oh, it's my pleasure. We hope to be able to chat again sometime on your next project. Yeah, I hope so. Speaking of which, what is next for you <laughs> well i have a, a you know another series that i'm uh, idea that i'm working on which i'm consumed and, and and thrilled with but i can't really pitch it right now but it's something that's not, i don't think i've never seen it done which is really hard to say it, it, it's done in quite this way but for the very moment right now i'm doing american horror story which is a lot of a lot of fun i'm doing uh, american horror stories with uh, you know the anthology series i wrote written just written my first episode for that wow pretty wild episode um, and, uh, and then I'm working on this current season of American stories and, and I'll be on the next season as well. So I'm going to be doing that for the, for the next uh, couple of months. And then hopefully I will have my other series going after that. Just as an aside, do you have any, uh, stories about going back to work with the new protocols? Have you been back on set uh, at this point? No, I haven't been on set, you know, for American horror stories, we've just been doing uh, zoom and sometimes we meet, you know, at Ryan's house, you know, but kind of st staying away from each other. Right. Right. But the writing is done mostly at home and with American horror stories, it, one of the series is an anthology series. So it's less room oriented right then and there. But also, you know, it's a small group and we, we kind of do fairly well at home. I mean, the strange thing about, you know, working at home is that it's actually part of it. It actually, I've gotten used to a lot of it. I enjoy working out of the house. With post-production on Next, I mean, it, it, it really worked quite well. I mean, I was surprised at how little we really had to go in. So if I were to do another series, I'd probably, I mean, who knows how, how long this pandemic's going to last, but I would almost advocate maintaining a lot of the stuff that we did <laughs> during COVID because it made for a lot easier life you know editing from my computer with the with the editor and not having to go all drive into the studio so it saved a lot of a lot of time and effort interestingly i think a lot of people are gonna yeah. in all occupations are gonna see that their world the world has been kind of changed and and in some ways maybe for the good like i'm working from home also you know paul yeah. works from home a lot now too so yeah i think kind of across the board it's it's changing literally how we all live our lives yeah. uh many on behalf of us in the podcast and pod clubhouse we just want to say thank you for the show i think it's really going to live on as something that's distinguished from other kinds of shows in the same genre i think that a lot stems from you so thanks so much and thanks so much for coming on again thank you so much for all your kind words i appreciate it it's been so much fun this this has been Conversations with Eliza, us talking with Manny Cotto for one more time for the series next. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Oh.